Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of A Little More Good. I'm Dean, and joined as always. My name's Zach. Happy to be here. Yeah, it's a it's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood today. We got a really great episode lined up for you all today. We have uh, one of well, it's a real it's a real like info dump. Yes. This is like an episode that you can share with friends that you can you can go back to in terms of like a, a real strong resource on all things like plant-based health, gut health, uh, overall kind of like wellness. This is like a good 101 on plant-based living. If you want to further your knowledge or if you have friends that are, are, are new to plant-based living or just wanting to have more plants in their life, uh, this is a great podcast to direct them towards. It's a ton of information, um, but it's uh, really digestible. Um, no pun intended, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's a high fiber episode. It's a high fiber <laughs> episode. Very approachable, high in information. Yeah. With, uh, with really the one and only Dr. Matthew Negra. Yes. Dr. Matthew Negra is a naturopathic doctor and you'll hear it in the episode. He is, um, a passionate advocate for the power of evidence based nutrition as medicine which is super cool because you know the old adage is like you are what you eat right and thinking like if you're eating unhealthy stuff you might be unhealthy if you load yourself up with health foods well you're gonna feel a lot better and dr dr nagger is awesome uh very personal he's like uh he is an encyclopedia of plant-based knowledge and really, um, it's quite personal. After struggling with his own kind of uh, health throughout his childhood, uh, he turned to a plant-based diet, which really improved several of the health concerns that he was having. And then since then, he's been spending the majority of his time researching the topic, seeking further education, and is a very well-spoken, well-read, I would say like widely respected and pretty well-known individual in like the plant-based world. So we're very excited I'm grateful to to have him on the pod and to share really the wealth of information that he is with all of you. And he's a cool cat. Yeah. He's like a soccer player and a runner and uh You can shred on the old six string. You can shred on he's the old six player. string. Yeah, yeah. We we chatted a little bit uh 
Well, it post pod, uh, all things rock and roll. So, so the good doctor, he's 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 got a little rock and roll he's slide got rock to him. And roll. Yeah, yeah. And just recently, I saw on his uh, on his Instagram live, he was he was he had his guitar busted out and he was showing his chops, and he was real good. I was like, yes, yes, real good, Doctor Negra. <laughs> so cool. So we're really excited to share this one with you again. Like, this is a great resource to come back to. This is a great episode to share with a friend who's maybe curious or uh, skeptical about like plant-based versus you know conventional means of how we understand to get protein meat right well meat has more protein more iron dr nagar is like a bit of a myth myth buster so if people are you know skeptical about plant-based diets if they're curious about how can i get enough protein how am i going to do it this is a great one to to share with a friend and say hey you should listen to this because it's got some sound scientific evidence-based um information as to like why you should adopt a plant-based diet and be sure to give him a follow on instagram because his account is one of the most informative instagram accounts that i follow um you know there's a lot of fluff on instagram and matthew negra has no fluff he uh he brings the the one-two punch pretty much in every post i learned something new uh even for myself someone that's been on the plant-based path for a long time now I'm constantly learning from uh, what he's sharing. Um, it's basically like having a new chapter of a really great book every post. So, yeah, honestly, give him a follow. Um, you won't be disappointed. Yeah, uh, we got some big news too. Definitely, Zach. Tell us Here what's the big news. We've got our first, our very first podcast sponsor. Yeah, very exciting. Very grateful. To the wonderful people behind Planted. Tell me about Planted. Planted is uh, an exclusive, it's going to be an exclusive event in Vancouver. And by exclusive, I mean very inclusive. <laughs> it's going to be for everyone who is interested in all things plant-based. It's a, it's basically the like a vegan expo, a plant-based expo in Vancouver. And it's happening this fall, November 20th and 21st. Um, and it's awesome. It's going to be at the Vancouver convention center which is like really uh it's a beautiful building on it, its own is it is a beautiful building and it's like one of the most environmentally sustainable sustainable buildings in the city so cool which is awesome so if you if you are from vancouver you've been there you know it it sticks out of the water it's got the green roof there's all sorts of like it, the built-in like recycled wood and it's just it is a truly uh sustainable building which is a great spot to hold planted this this expo so where if i'm if i'm into this where do i get tickets yeah plantedlife.com and then backslash vancouver but if you just go to plantedlife.com you'll see there's like the different the different ones and click on the one for vancouver if you're here but yeah plantedlife.com backslash vancouver will take you right where you need to go and then it's got this awesome little countdown 84 days 17 hours 51 minutes and 48 seconds until you can get into the expo yeah so it's going to be really good so you still have lots of time to buy your tickets but uh grab your tickets plantedlife.com backslash vancouver tell us a little more about it okay so i was checking out this website because i'm like vegan expo both as an individual and as a, um, you know, through the juice truck, you know, we're constantly adding more grocery items. So I'm both curious as an individual and as a business to check out, you know, what's happening, what's new products, um, you know, what's what's going to be coming hot onto the market. Mm-hmm. 
Well, but the, I, the list of exhibitors is like it's deep. extensive. Yeah, it's awesome. There's so many great businesses and and people that are there. It's it's quite exciting. Yeah, I was blown away by that. And then I was like, "What? There's guest speakers, and the guest speakers are like not even A list. They're like A plus 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 list. Right? Who who's going to be there? Dan spilled the tea. So the well, one one of the keynote speakers for this Planted Expo is Dr. Matthew Nagra, boom, who will be on our pod today. Another one you may have known from Olympic fame, Dotsie. Dotsie Bosch. Yeah. And she did a podcast on Rich Roll. We're always talking about Rich Roll because uh, he's the uh, the vegan Oprah. He's That's the right. godfather of veganism. Uh, and I learned so much on that podcast. It blew my mind. Um, and that might have just given a little bit of foreshadowing to the biggest guest on this docket. Rich Roll. Oh, my God. He's coming to Vancouver. He will be speaking at the Planted Life at Planted Expo. It's going to be so good, among others as well. But like that, we were so excited when we saw that. I couldn't believe that. Zach texted me. He's like, yo, have you heard of this thing? And I was like, I don't know. He's like, Rich Roll's going to be there. And then I was like, right away on the website, checking it out. Um, so yeah. We've both been Rich Roll fans for you know a long time now. Felt like we've grown listening to his podcast. And, and that's a big reason why we have our own podcast mm-hmm. now. So so stoked to check out this event for the for the food yeah but food also trucks for the food trucks. food trucks are gonna be there like if it wasn't really uh at being canada's largest plant-based event of the year with like over 200 vegan edible lifestyle businesses in one place um that's enough that's enough of a draw to go check it out right but also the stage is packed with all of these insightful informative inspirational speakers from around the world including like one of our heroes rich roll that's so cool. <laughs> we will Some be there. Afternoon. We'll and see you, you there. should be there too. You should be there. It'll be a great, not only that, but like just a kind of like a, the opportunity to do something kind of bigger like this again, right? We're moving into this like time of like post vaccinations and, you know, we'll see what happens with masks or whatever, but either way, there's going to be, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. And to just like see some life happening in the, in this world again is going to be awesome. I feel like it's going to be like the first day of school when everyone's kind of excited. Totally. You know? Totally. So definitely, definitely check it out. Um, get your, get your tickets. If you're, they do have a, they do have a, uh, on their website again, plantedlife.com slash Vancouver. Um, they do have like a COVID safety plan and, uh, it is important, I guess, for us to l- let you all know, just so people can feel safe, that um, vaccinations are required at Planted Expo, so that that way they can keep everyone safe. Which is just one of those things, right? Concerts and stuff like that. We know you need to you need to have proof of vaccination, so have that. If you haven't got your vaccine yet, I guess uh, go get it if that's your jam. If not, you'll miss out. But go get your tickets. It's gonna be so good. There we go. All right. Well, thank you uh, to planted for being our first sponsor we're stoked yeah uh we'll be talking more about um some of the tidbits that will be happening at their expo on upcoming pods yes um but that's yes. uh let's jam for a few minutes before uh, we dive into the podcast uh anything exciting anything good going on this week man it's a i feel like it's 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 a busy week there's lots going on we've got we actually had a couple pods in the docket so that's good um and always kind of like inspirational to do it 
right? Uh, but I feel like in some ways it, it takes up it takes up the capacity. So for me, it's like I got a couple runs in, which has been really nice. Yeah. Um, because I feel like I've taken a little bit of a break just with the busyness of life. So to get back to back days has been really good. Um, but yeah, look, kind of looking for like maybe some time to unwind. Like I don't know, a new show. We need a new show. Ooh, yeah. We've been, it's Friday. We're recording this on a Friday. This will come out on a Tuesday. So it's not really Friday, but yeah. kind of is. It's Friday somewhere. Um, Meg's, uh, my wife and I, we're obsessed with Ted Lasso. Oh, yes. So good. I literally just smile at the screen the whole time. Oh, like man. I don't want it to end. It just and makes me so happy. Didn't, uh, is season it season two? two? Okay. It's just like an optimistic, feel good, um, you know, drama comedy about a American football coach that goes to England and coaches a British football slash soccer team. And it's just got all the feels. I hate to say it. I'm a bit of a crier Yeah, for the happy tears. I have a tear in my eye like every episode. Nice. And uh, yeah, Fridays are like a day to look forward to because of Ted Lasso. Okay, okay. They release like a new episodes. Every week. It's, so on, it's on Apple TV. It's now. on Apple TV. Okay, so that's why I haven't watched it because we hadn't, we didn't have Apple TV, TV, but then just, just set it up, got a new iPad, kids back to school, all this stuff. So they're like, here's a three month subscription or whatever. I was like, oh, let's set it up. And one of the first things I saw was Ted Lasso. I was like, I've so heard good. so many people talk about this show. I was like, oh, we got to start watching it. So good. Okay. Check it out. Okay. Um, I'm just staring, sitting here staring at this, so I feel like we should give them a shout out. Vancouver Mushroom Co. Yes. They make a reishi kombucha. This one is blackberry sage that I'm drinking right now. Mm-hmm. And it is the first to market in the world for a, uh, a reishi, a mushroom-based kombucha. So most kombuchas, they like kind of brew it with a green tea or a black tea, and that's kind of the base. Yeah. Uh, Vancouver Mushroom Co. uses um, they use reishi tea as the base, so there's no um, there's no caffeine in it, and it's got that uh, good old mushroom goodness in it, which is good because you're not a caffeine guy. I'm not a caffeine guy, so I'm I'm, I'm a low caffeine guy now. I'm drinking these like they're going out of fashion, and so cool. First to market ever. First, I like googled this like crazy. This is the first to market in the world. Like some companies have like added mushrooms to their kombucha. Yeah, but. Vancouver Mushroom Co. is using the reishi mushroom tea, brewing a reishi mushroom as the base. So, Very cool. Very cool. I love it. The flavor's great, and uh, you feel good. That's very cool. I wonder if they'll be at Planted Expo. Yeah, should be. We'll have to have her on. Good stuff on as a podcast guest, too. So, Steph, if you're listening to this, we're, we're coming for you. Yeah, so good, <laughs> so good. All right, right should we uh, should we get into it? Yeah, I think uh, I think that's a good place to go, and and we'll we'll give it over to uh, the good doctor, Doctor Matthew Negra. Well, welcome, welcome, welcome to um, a little more good. Uh, we're sitting here with Doctor Matthew Negra. Thank you for joining us, Doctor Matthew. Thanks for having me, and thanks for the green smoothie. Yeah, yeah. always. We can't start a podcast without a few greens. <laughs> always. Um, so Dr. Matthew Negra, if you're not familiar with his work, is um, one of the best sources of plant-based information, um, not only in Vancouver, but I would say, say globally. Um, you know, he's, he's um, was recently on the Plant Proof podcast uh, with Simon Hill, one of, one of the, you know, global legends of, um, you know, consistently sharing plant-based, um, you know, evidence-derived um, content through his podcast. 
um, um, Dr. Matthew is a, a naturopath here in Vancouver, and um, you know, if you don't, we'll get to this at the end. We we'll always tell people to give a follow, but if you don't follow his Instagram, you might as well start now because it's uh, one of the best resources for um, you know all things plant-based. Uh, if you care about uh, finding the facts from the fiction, um, so thank you for for joining us. Uh, we're excited to to dive into. To, um, you know your origins and and all thing all things health and wellness. And thanks for that very kind introduction. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well deserved. So one of the things we always want to do, um, obviously, you're an expert in your field and you have such a wealth of information to offer um, to us and to our listeners. But one of the things that we always like to do is capture a little bit of like who is the person behind you know all of all of the information that you you bring and share and do so so um, broadly and generously. So what is kind of like, what's some of your background, your origin story, if you will, like how does a guy grow up and become passionate, even in the pre-pod kind of chat, it's so obvious that you're, you're passionate about, you know, health and wellness and plant-based living. And so what, what got you to this point today to be doing multiple podcasts at a clubhouse in one day, right? Sharing this, sharing this information. Uh, I have a problem saying no. So that's, that's one. <laughs> we'll remember that yeah, for. Uh... Yeah, that's definitely one. Um, no, I uh, when I was younger, I had asthma, allergies. I was overweight, um, and I mean, I was an athlete, but you know, might not have been the fastest guy on the field. Um, and when I was 15, I had a personal trainer who promoted uh, largely plant-based diets. Not 100 percent. Not. Um, you know, strictly vegan or anything, but largely plant-based. He was very much uh, in the camp of, you know, limiting dairy consumption, limiting processed food consumption, all of that. Um, and he wanted me to do a food diary. So uh, after not listening to him for a really long time about his diet advice, I thought, oh crap, he's going he's gonna to kick my butt when he sees how bad my diet is. So I decided to um, eat really clean, or at least what I thought was really clean. So I cut out the dairy, I cut out the uh, you know, classic junk foods, your sodas, potato chips, and so on. Um, I ate way more fruits and veggies, doing a lot of smoothies, and within even like a couple week period there, when I was recording my intake, I started losing weight, my asthma seemed to get better, my allergies seemed to get better, whether that's all connected or not, I mean, who knows, but um, I was doing a lot better, and uh, so I thought, okay, maybe he's on to something, um, and so I stuck with it, I stuck with it for uh, a couple years until I went into um, university, and then when I was in undergrad, um, in my first semester, I was living on residence. There's cafeteria food. Um, there's drinking on the weekends, <laughs> and and uh, so I noticed my health kind of slide the other way, slide backwards a little bit. Um, and eventually, in my second semester, I just decided that I wasn't feeling as good as I thought I could, or as, as good as I did prior. And so I just cut it all. Um, I went 100% plant-based on February 24th, 2011. And so oh, it's wow. been uh, a little over 10 years now. Um, and yeah, never looked back and just continued to learn more and more, went through different iterations of, you know, plant-based diets while I was at it, oil-free, all that kind of stuff. And then, um, and especially the last few years have been really instrumental in me, uh, learning even more about what the scientific evidence actually says, what, what we can claim about a plant-based diet, what, uh, what claims are stretching the science, mm -hmm. what we should say. Um, and so I try to provide that accurate information so people don't need to go through 10 years of that like I did. Right. <laughs> um, and so yeah, that's why, that's why I'm doing two podcasts in a clubhouse today. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, that's so cool. And I, I think it's so interesting to even just track that journey, like you mentioned, of how 
much it's changed in the last decade, right? And there's, I mean, we can get into, there's all kinds of like, there's always a new diet. There's always a new fad kind of way to eat for health or fitness or weight loss or whatever. It, and it will probably always be that way. But it's interesting because as people are, it seems like in the last couple of years or so, like veganism has really become a lot more mainstream. The plant-based living is everywhere, so much so that it's in fast food restaurants now, right? And you could still say, okay, like, it's still maybe not the best option, but it's becoming way more normalized. And for someone like yourself, you know, starting 10 plus years ago and kind of living through a lot of those changes, like what are some notable things you could say have, have come and gone or what are the things that have held true that you could say, you know, these, if you're going to start somewhere, maybe this is like a, a core place to begin. I mean, I would, I would say that it hasn't, it hasn't, other than just the fact that it's grown, it hasn't changed a lot. Like the central tenets of what a healthy diet is, is fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, nuts, and seeds. Um, nobody's arguing, or some people will try to argue. <laughs> most, most people aren't arguing that. We'll touch on, we'll touch on yeah, the, the yeah, arguers yeah, for sure. I think most most yeah. people aren't arguing that. You talk about the Mediterranean diet, the DASH diet, the MIND diet, the vegan diet. I mean, all of these have those similar components, and they're like the most health-promoting diets, depending on what health outcome you're looking at. So I wouldn't say that has changed a lot. What has happened is that veganism has grown. And we need to understand that there's a difference between veganism and like a healthy whole foods plant-based diet, right? Veganism is that ethical drive, and I am a vegan as well, um, to not consume animal products, not to purchase animal products, you know, to reduce suffering as much as possible. And, um, and that's where those things like the fast food chains having you know, vegan products and that is an awesome thing. I think it's fantastic, especially even if you are uh, into health, you know, the occasional, if you go for a, I don't know, a... A and W's not even doing it anymore, but they're you know Beyond Burgers or where or their uh, breakfast uh, um, muffins or whatever they were. Um, that's not going to do anything if it's you know once a month, one a couple times a month, something like that. And and it's a nice treat to have. And it just even if we put health aside for a second, if people want to make that choice just purely for ethical reasons, then it's great, right? So we need to separate those. Whereas when I'm talking about health, I am pretty much always speaking of a diet, again, centered on fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, nuts, and seeds, whether they include small amounts of either animal products or processed plant foods or, or what have you. Hmm. So when you're on your, your journey to, you know, from your personal trainer to becoming plant-based and getting into university, and um, did that directly influence your decision to become a naturopath? Um, yeah, so I knew, like, from a long time ago, I, I don't even know when exactly, I did kind of want to go into um, the healthcare space. I knew that that was somewhere I wanted to go, uh, but what exactly I did in that space was a little bit up in the air, I guess. Um, and when I was in undergrad, actually, one of my teachers saw a naturopathic doctor on a, a semi-regular basis, and she actually recommended I shadow them. And so I shadowed, a, there were a couple, um, husband and wife, they... Um, they both practiced very differently though, which was what, one of the things that was enticing as I went in, I, I shadowed them for you know, a few days each and I noticed that there's just so much you can do there. There's such a wide um, or broad scope and, um, and I knew that given my own experiences and what I was learning, I wanted to do something with nutrition as well where you can do that in the medical field and actually you can do it more now than you ever could before with lifestyle medicine taking off and everything so that, I think that's all great. Uh, at the time, it wasn't as well known, though, so 
um, at the time, if I wanted to really focus on nutrition as a part of this kind of overall healthcare uh, idea, um, so to speak, then naturopathic medicine I thought fit really well, especially with the longer visits. I, I can spend an hour with a patient on the first visit, uh, get a really detailed history, and you know do treatment on top of that all in one visit, which is great. Um, so that is kind of what drove that decision. Um, and then you know since then I've modified my practice. I I do uh, like a. You guys know I try to be very evidence-based in what I recommend. I, I can prescribe medications as well. That's something we can do here in BC. So it's not like I'm avoiding medications when needed. Absolutely, I'm incorporating them into my practice as well. Uh, a lot of the times, patients who are on medications will come to see me thinking that I'm going to you know, take them off of them and, and adopt the lifestyle intervention instead, when in reality, I'm usually telling them, like, no, this is if you're not experiencing any side effects and, and you're able to do it, this is a really good idea, and mm. this is why, and I'll explain to them why, and that, that just might be something that they don't always get as the explanation or the evidence behind it. So I try to spend my time that I have with them uh, really going over a lot of that data. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about, you mentioned you mentioned the term um, lifestyle medicine. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a bit about that and, and maybe sharing in conjunction as you just did with yep. with typical uh, pharmaceutical medicine that we might use? But what what is that? How could we learn more or practice yep. more of that in our lives? So um, lifestyle medicine is, it's really, it overlaps so much with the idea of naturopathic medicine. But lifestyle medicine is sort of a subspecialty of conventional medicine. Um, and there is an American College of Lifestyle Medicine in the States that uh, can board certified people and, and or medical professionals in lifestyle medicine. Um, we're getting something like that over here in Canada probably soon as well. Um, and it's the idea that there's you know diet and exercise and these other lifestyle interventions that can be incorporated uh, along with conventional medical therapy for best results. And so that's the whole idea. It's not an either or. Um, and there's a lot of doctors. I know you guys. Uh, we'll know of people like um, you know Michael Greger and uh, the Schur's eyes and like all these people that they, they all really practice that that is what they do um, or I mean Michael Greger doesn't practice currently but uh, but that's what they promote is this lifestyle medicine idea um, and so that's where they where it comes from, what it means. Right. That's cool. Taking away the idea that like <clears throat> you can just get the prescription, mm -hmm. take the pill, and not do anything else and become healthy. Yeah, right, and like, there, there's actually a really, I haven't read it in full, I, I think it was this morning or last night, I was looking at a new study um, that looked at like statins, cholesterol-lowering medications, one of the most effective medications we have, um, but statin users were more likely to, to sway towards poor dietary habits than non-statin users. So if people have, um, you know, say cardiovascular disease and they're told to take a statin, they'll either adopt healthier lifestyles or they'll take the statin. Why not do both? Yeah. Right? Like that's the whole thing is, is that, that will lead to best overall results. And so that's uh, really what it's kind of promoting. Yeah. So, so for people that aren't familiar with naturopathy, if, that's, uh, if they haven't gone to a naturopath before, mm -hmm. can you talk about the, um, you know, the difference in, in practice and uh, maybe approach and values from um, going to a naturopathic doctor versus maybe going to like a... A traditional medical doctor yeah so it can vary I'd say there's definitely a range but really the idea is that we're um, we t we follow what's called a therapeutic order we're going from least invasive to most invasive and, and generally medical doctors do this as well uh, where we'll but not always and where we'll will um, go from 
you know, if possible, if it's not an emergency situation, if, if uh, we have time to, to work with, we'll start with you know, simple diet and lifestyle um, interventions. We may be doing some like physical therapies, things like that, if needed, depending on what we're dealing with again. Um, we may then get into like nutraceutical supplementation or pharmaceutical intervention and then like surgeries the top, the last thing you go to. And so we kind of work through this, um, this therapeutic order and I, I think medical doctors largely do that as well but they sometimes skip those bottom couple. Mm -hmm. And so that, that will really depend on who you're seeing. Um, of course, the, the same can be said about naturopathic doctors. It really depends on who you're seeing. Right. Um, it really does come down to the professional like that. And so it's really hard to boil it down to one definition or one comparison because there is just so much variability. Um, my, my, my experience in the past has been like when I've gone to naturopath that I've seen over the years is it's been more about um, finding the root versus mm -hmm. treating just a symptom. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so that, um, you know, whether it's a, you know, whatever it might be, I, I, I find that uh, when I've gone to a naturopath, I've gotten to the root of the problem and then, you know, those issues. Like, for example, I have, this is maybe a, a funny example, but I had, um, uh, I went to Emily Carter during university, I was studying painting, and I just, uh, kind of uh, developed a bit of like a handshake uh, like almost like a tremor in my hand, you know, when you're painting, you know, eight hours a day or whatever, it doesn't, uh, it's hard to paint when you got a shaky hand. So, you know, the doctor went to the doctor first and they really had no clue, went to a naturopath and they, you know, went through different varying things and eventually found that I had, you know, some allergy to one of the materials in my, in my paint. Um, so... Um, just they took more of a discovery approach, um, uh, like a full body holistic approach than, you know, doctor was like trying to, not saying all doctors were like this, but we're, we're trying to prescribe some things that might be a muscle relaxant, whereas, you know, the naturopath found the paint issue, and once that was discovered, like, it kind of went away, like, instantly. And yeah, I think one of the, one of the things there, though, to note is that I think that largely comes down to the time right. that you have to spend, right? That's the problem is um, when, you're, when you're limited to 10, 15 minutes, um, you kind of, in your mind, and I do this too with patients, but I just have more time to go through it, yeah. is um, I'll go through basically a checklist of, okay, what could be causing this? What are the list of symptoms that we're having? What are possible diagnoses? And then based on that criteria, you would prescribe something. Right. Um, or if you have more time to dive a little bit deeper and get a little bit more of a history in that, then of course you can maybe come to other conclusions. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I do think that largely comes down to the, the time that you're spending with an individual. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, well, should we jump into some, uh, some plant-based uh, 101? Yeah. So, like, similar to yourself, I went um, you know, vegan during university, um, watched, took an uh, environmental ethics class with Zoe, palette uh, uh, of all yeah. people, and uh, watched Earthlings and a few other things, and I was like, you know, made some made some changes. But uh, at that time, there was a lot of like, you know, bro, where you get your protein yeah. from? And yeah. we've, I, I think, societally, we've evolved and grown since then. But uh, there's still a lot of that. So maybe we can kind of go over some of the. Plant-based 101 basics and debunk some of the um, the myths and uh, concerns that people may have. Let's do it. All right. Um, maybe let's start with the with the bro one. Uh, you know, <laughs> all of our you know protein. Big, our protein. Yeah. yeah, they think they got to get their protein for one and two that it has to be from you know some sort of wacky way shake. Um, so can you kind of break down? 
the protein math? Um, yeah, there are, uh, there's a few different things we need to tackle there, so yeah. we'll go through them. Um, there are a few claims that are made to, you know what, actually, forget about that. Before we get into the difference between <laughs> animal and plant protein, let's talk about um, getting enough protein. Right. Yeah. You can absolutely get enough protein from plants on a like per gram basis. I you know try to beat seitan for example. Yeah. Good luck. Um, uh, even as far as the amino acid contents, fantastic. Uh, tofu, soy foods, fantastic sources. Legumes. Um, you know, for the average sedentary person, you only need 0.8 grams per kilogram of body weight. That's nothing. That's incredibly easy. Now, if we're talking about maximizing strength gains, you can go up to. Um, 1.6 grams per kilogram of body weight, and that can be more challenging. Now, I'm a relatively small person. I can hit that no problem in a day without a supplement. Um, some people might want to add a protein powder on top of that, and that's fine, because guess what? All the meat eaters are doing it anyway. <laughs> right. right? Like It's not an argument against a, a plant-based diet in any way. Um, <clears throat> but like I said, it is possible to do so without, without the supplement. Um, now, getting into the argument of animal versus plant protein, uh, there are a few issues. Uh, the first thing that's brought up is that plants don't contain all the essential amino acids, which are the uh, nine amino acids that we don't make ourselves. And that is false. All plants contain all the essential amino acids. The only food that doesn't is gelatin or collagen, and guess what? That's an animal product. Um, so the only incomplete protein really is a, an animal product, unless you want to talk about the fact that certain plant foods have less of certain amino acids than others. They contain them all, but they have different proportions. Right. Uh, but the other issue with that is that we don't eat a single food. Uh, we don't eat a single food in our diet. We aren't eating rice all day, right? we're varying it. And when you eat multiple types of foods, your legumes, your whole grains, your fruits, your vegetables, you're going to get a complete amino acid profile. It's just uh, next to, you'd have to try really, really hard to design a diet that was deficient in a given amino acid. Um, so that wouldn't be a concern. And no, you don't need to combine at each meal. You can, your breakfast will combine with your lunch, will combine with your dinner, it's fine, as long as you're varying your diet overall. Um, the next argument that's made is that animal protein is more digestible than plant protein, um, or you absorb more, you, it's more bioavailable. And that's based on a couple rating systems that are developed by feeding uh, different protein sources to either rodents or pigs and seeing how well they, uh, or how much they absorb. Um, there's the PDCAS, the Protein Digestibility Corrected Amino Acid Score. That one is primarily done in rats where they'll feed them a product, see um, you know, how much protein comes out the other end and then subtracting, that's how much you absorb, right? <laughs> Simple math. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> now, there's a couple problems. For one, we aren't rats. Uh, two, um, there is some digestion by the bacteria in the colon, so it's actually, it might be overestimating a little bit. And so there's the DS, Digestible Indispensable um, Amino Acid Score. And that one is primarily done, it is done some on rats too, but primarily in pigs. And what they do is they'll stick a tube um, into the end of the small intestine and they'll remove the food from there, right? So they'll see how much is digested from the mouth through to the um, end of the, the small intestine there. Hmm. And that'll tell you how much, um, how much was actually absorbed and, and you'll remove the colonic bacteria from any of their digestion. And again, they will find on average that uh, animal foods fare a little bit better than, than plant, fruit, plant foods. However, we have to remember that we aren't pigs still, although it's closer to um, what a, a human's digestive tract would be like. Um, nor is it exactly what our needs would be, but it's, it's closer than a rat. 
Uh, but the other issue is they feed them largely raw foods, mm. right? We don't eat raw legumes. We don't eat raw grains uh, for the most part. And so cooking these foods increases their digestibility um, as far as protein goes. So you're going to underestimate the plant foods in that case again. So what we should be looking at, oh, and I should mention that these, both of them um, are looking at single foods and they're looking at um, the limiting amino acids. So they look specifically at the amino acid that it contains the least of, not relevant to a diet comprised of multiple foods. Right. Um, so the best scoring method is actually true ileal digestibility in humans. And when we look at the data on humans uh, and different protein sources, it is incredibly minimal. It's like a few percent difference on average, uh, or especially comparing like high quality plant proteins to high quality animal proteins. So, I mean, you're really splitting hairs at that point. It's not going to make much of a difference. If you really care, eat slightly more protein from plants, you know, a few percent more. It's not going to worry about missing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's not going to make a, a big deal at all. Um, so that kind of squashes the digestibility argument. But then the last argument um, is that animal proteins may stimulate what's called muscle protein synthesis more than certain plant proteins. And this is like the acute, you know, few hours of muscle building after a, after a meal, after a workout. Um, but this is what we call a mechanism. So this is something that we measure. We can see certain numbers, measurements and that, but it doesn't necessarily translate into more muscle mass. What we care about is does the animal protein lead to more muscle mass, more strength gains than the plant protein? Well, every single trial that is protein matched and matched for an amino acid called leucine, which helps with that muscle building, um, show no difference. So whether you're comparing pea, rice, soy protein to animal protein, or to even whey protein, which is like the best of the best, no difference whatsoever in strength or mass gains. And this year in February 2021, they really just, I think, demolished this whole argument by comparing vegans versus meat eaters eating the same amount of protein. Uh, in the vegans, they supplemented um, with some soy protein to hit that 1.6 grams per kilogram I mentioned. Uh, in the meat eaters, they supplemented with uh, whey protein because, again, meat eaters supplement too. <laughs> um, and, uh, and they found absolutely no difference in any measure of, of strength or mass gains. Um, that should be the final nail in the coffin, but I've had a lot of people doing what I call mental gymnastics mm -hmm. um, to try to justify their uh, um, their choices, and, and I've uh, I've gotten a lot of debates online about that one. But just there is no argument at this point when you have that data, unless you would have to apply a ridiculous level of skepticism to that um, to possibly argue for the most minuscule difference in outcomes imaginable but really um like i said if that was even a concern you just eat slightly more protein big yeah. deal right it's not a big deal at all mm -hmm. and if oh well like if the argument was solely happening in a vacuum of which diet or which protein consumption is going to lead to more muscle mass or gains or whatever even if you could say okay protein like from animals uh, gives you the slightest, slightest inch. Yeah. Even if you could say that, yeah. as soon as you remove yourself from that vacuum of this like study of what's happening in your muscles for recovery and for muscle growth, and say, okay, is it worth it for the slightest gain 
for the cost of everything else that's yeah. happening for you to consume animal products. Yeah, and that's and, where it's like for me, those people like the argument is yes about what is ha- happening in your body and functioning for you, but also like what about the planet you live on? <laughs> but see, we don't even have to go there. We can look at what it is doing to you, to because, the rest of you. Yeah, because um, so they have uh, in the past couple of years there have been a lot of what are called substitution analyses, which are great. It's where they look at what happens when you replace. Uh, one food with another food. And so they've actually done analyses where they isolate out the protein and they look at what happens when you replace like 3% of your calories from animal protein with like 3% of calories from plant protein or you know 5% in some studies. And they find that it reduces the risk of a variety of diseases, your total uh, um, risk of mortality and so on. Um, and there are just several studies looking at this now too. So and that's just the, the, the fact that you're eating more animal protein sources versus the plant protein sources. And so um, there's you know, every reason to choose the plant protein over the animal protein, and there's really no reason to choose the animal protein at all. Right. I, I often think, um, you know, like in, in life, if you could buy direct or, or, and, and get a, you know, the best possible deal or you know, buy through a middleman, you would buy direct. And like with a lot of the... The animals that we're consuming, they're they're just like the middlemen of this. Like they're they're eating the plant-based protein, and then, and then you know the people that are consuming these animals, um, you know, on top of the protein that they're consuming, they're also getting all of the antibiotics and you know all of the all of the negative effects that are are attached. Like it's not a it's not like they eat a legume and you get a legume. There's like, you know, all these additives that um, are part of the deal that you're not necessarily signing up for when you can just go direct to the source and eat the plants that the animals are eating anyways. Always um, laugh. Yeah. Seems like seems like a bad deal to me. Always laugh at the, the signs that you see in the grocery store or butcher shop or whatever, like, grass-fed, which just means like you have to pay more money for that cut of meat. But it's like we we think, oh, that's way better because this animal that I'm going to consume only consumed yeah. like grass. They weren't fed all this other stuff, <laughs> and yet by eating them, it's like you you could just get the protein from the source, right? But even then, uh, most of the time, it doesn't mean that they only ate grass. Most of them are still fed uh, grain and other things through, or, or different types of feed throughout certain times of the year. Um, right. So there's all sorts of issues there too, and. At the end of the day, where is the research showing that it leads to better health outcomes? Yeah, <laughs> good, right. good luck. Yeah, exactly. That's what I can tell. <laughs> so interesting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> In a world obsessed with like um, efficiency, right? How can we do everything better uh, with with less time and less interruption, and certainly with like purity and in, in like health? You know, the health world. It's like how can we be the most clean or the most pure? It really doesn't make sense to go to to get protein through this middleman, like this multiple step chain that's bringing with you all of these other things that you don't necessarily want to consume or add into your diet. And yet we just like unthinkingly are conditioned to be like, oh, this is where I need to get my protein from. Not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> Thank you to Dr. Matthew Nagra. Yeah. Um, so for people that, you know, are like, you know, eating animals is is primal, and and this is our how our ancestors did it. Like, can you comment on? Um, like, I've watched um, what's his name, Gary. Your mm-hmm. um, I'm gonna butcher his name. Urofsky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. How he talks about like the length of our intestines and the strength of our nails and our, our lack of, you know, you know, true canines, um, and just like how you know our life expectancy. Um, you know, I think I heard you say in the past, like when we had this, you know, primal diet that probably was more, you know, 
less meat than you know these primal people are are, are commenting on. But our life expense expectancy was just to reproductive age. Now we're living to like you know eighty well, or whatever. That's the thing. Like, I actually um, I would probably disagree with a little bit of the stuff around like uh, our digestive tracts and all of that. But at the end of the day, who cares if they were living to 30, 40 years old? Yeah. Right? That's not my goal. Yeah. Um, my goal is to live a lot longer. We have research on people living today and what diet uh, dietary patterns are best for them. That's what we should care about. Um, not so much what you know individuals were eating you know hundreds of thousands of years ago, tens of thousands of years ago, whatever it might have been. Um, what I care about is what's going to lead to the longest, healthiest life, and, and their goal at the time was to live to, like you said, reproductive age. Um, and in that case, you can eat just about anything, <laughs> if that's the goal, right? Anything that provides a lot of calories um, to fuel you and that, then, then that's going to be a benefit at that time, whereas uh, nowadays that's a detriment once you get to older ages. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, okay, so keeping on the, um, you know, the plant-based 101, um, so we've got the, the protein covered. Uh, one that I think people miss a lot because um, they're so protein focused is fiber. Um, can you can you touch on the importance of fiber in a diet and how a plant based diet would you know be- benefit that? Yeah, so um, I mean, in America, it's abysmal. I actually don't know what Canada stats are, but in America, average uh, American gets around like 15, 16 grams of fiber a day, and the recommendations for women are 25 grams, for men is 38 grams, so it's just terrible. And when we look at um, analyses of different dietary patterns and how much uh, fiber people are getting, it's really only the vegans that are consistently getting well over those numbers, sometimes the vegetarians, uh, very rarely the omnivores. Um, And fiber is associated with just really great health outcomes across the board. you know, lower risk of colorectal cancer, that's one of the well-known ones, but cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes, just risk of total mortality, period. Hmm. Um, and so we definitely want to be eating more fiber. And, and, um, and where does fiber come from? Well, whole plant foods. Uh, I mean, you can get it in some processed plant foods too uh, because they still have some fiber there. It's just uh, the most fiber-rich sources are going to be the whole plant foods. Um, I, I've read as well with fiber that even, you know, We'll move on from these protein bros in a minute here, but yeah. like they're all about recovery and and you know fiber um, will help with your um, you know recovery happens and a lot of it happens in our intestine and our gut, right? Well, as far as uh, absorption in that, um, as far as like muscle recovery in that, I, I wouldn't suggest so. Okay, interesting. Um, so what um, what are some of the best fiber sources that people can focus on and? You know, you rec- you mentioned the thirty grams or whatever, but what would be like an optimal like if you're if you wanna? Um, so as far as fiber sources, I mean, it's hard to really pick one. I mean, legumes are great. Yeah, as I've already mentioned, great for protein and the fiber. Yeah. Um, uh, same with whole grains, really good as well. As far as what the target is. Um, I'm not sure what the exact number would be. What, what I would put it on. There does seem to be when you go from basically no fiber to some fiber you get a more sharp increase or benefit um, and then it starts to plateau off okay so i mean there's there are some experts out there suggesting like 50 grams a day is a good target that's probably pretty easy for someone who's eating you know, a whole foods plant-based to do um what exactly that recommendation is based on i'm actually not sure um okay. but there does seem to be kind of a slow steady improvement beyond that first initial spike in fiber intake so um, I would just suggest, you know, the more the better, really. Yeah. And do you have like a, is it like a gradual, if someone's, if someone's fiber deficient and then they're listening to this, okay, I got to like 
I'm going to eat, eat whole grain, like plant-based food, um, get rid of the whey protein in the meat, and up my fiber intake. I'm not going to worry about protein. I'm going to focus on the fiber. Is there like a step-by-step, or do you just go whole hog? Like, what are some of the other things? Because I know some people, they start going like full onto the fiber, and it does stuff to us, yeah. right? Like, what, what would you recommend or suggest to someone just starting out, knowing that like everyone's body responds differently and every situation is different, but... Yeah, I mean, some people seem to be fine just going all in. I know I was kind of like that when I first did it, but um, yeah, I would suggest just for like averages to make sure everyone you know does it successfully is to more slowly increase it. Um, that can look very different for different people, uh, but it might be good early on to you know, rather than edamame having tofu, it's lower in fiber. Um, and uh, certain types of grains might be lower in fiber than others, like millet might be an easier one on the gut uh, early on compared to something like quinoa. Mm. Um, so you can you can try to work with these things and just slowly increase from there. But uh, some people might be fine going all in, and going so all it's it's uh, yeah, it's very individual. Okay, get that fiber fuel. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, another big one um, that people often make the argument: um, well, I don't get enough iron in a in a mm. plant based diet. Uh, what would you have to say to those those folks? Um, so there isn't evidence of vegans having high rates of iron deficiency in Western populations. Um, in fact, most uh, vegans tend to get far more iron than meat eaters. Um, so even if you are absorbing less, you're still going to be getting you know, enough. And um, so there are two types of iron. There's the heme iron, which is uh, only found in animal products, and that one is absorbed very consistently. So there's a certain amount that you're just going to uh, pretty well absorbed regardless. And then there's non-heme iron, which is the only type that you'll find in plants. Um, and that is, uh, it's absorbed to varying degrees depending on a few factors. So if you're low in iron, you'll absorb more. If you're topped up uh, on your iron stores, you're going to absorb less. And so it, it uh, varies that way. And that's a good thing because too much iron is not something we want. And, and actually the heme iron from animal products is associated with poor health outcomes, like higher risk of cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes, certain cancers. Um, and so we don't want too much iron. Um, but if iron is a concern for someone, if they have history of iron deficiency or anemia, uh, there are certain things you can do to boost absorption. So um, having iron-rich foods, like your dark greens, your legumes, your whole grains, with, uh, with vitamin C-rich foods, like bell peppers, uh, citrus, broccoli, um, that can uh, really boost absorption. And actually, if you're low in iron, so your absorption's higher, as I mentioned, and you add vitamin C to the mix, further boosting absorption, you can get pretty close, pretty much match what uh, you would get from the animal foods anyway. So, hmm. um, so you can have very similar absorption. And then um, other foods that boost absorption are things like garlic and onion, um, they can help. Uh, whereas things like coffee and tea can actually inhibit absorption, so you don't want to necessarily be having the coffee and tea with uh, um, with the, the iron-rich foods. Mm. So if someone um, if someone comes to you and they're you know on the more of the anemic uh, level of things, would you um, recommend a supplement to that that case, or would you um, kind of more prescribe? The, the food that you were mentioning? Um, so it depends. If their iron is on the lower end, but their blood counts, like their hemoglobin and everything are fine, so they aren't actually anemic, um, I'll chat with them about what they want to do. But um, in that case, I don't see an issue with just trying dietarily at first to raise levels. Uh, whereas if they were actually, um, if their ferritin or their iron stores were just very low, we're talking like low single digits, or if they were actually anemic where their, um, their hemoglobin and blood counts were low, in that case, yeah, supplement might be a good idea, at least temporarily, um, to boost it up. So it really depends. Uh, again, th these are things that I would 
chat with the patient about. I'd, I'd want to hear a little bit, of, or I'd give them all that information. I'd let them choose and, and hear a little bit about what they want to do, and we'll go from there. Yeah. What do you think about spirulina as an iron source? Um, I like chlorella more. Chlorella, okay. Yeah, I like chlorella more because spirulina um, has, at least from some uh, analyses, higher rates of like heavy metal contamination in that. And then chlorella actually has some good data for uh, a really high in iron, as we mentioned, a uh, good protein source. Also, um, uh, has some data on like cholesterol lowering, which is another added benefit there. So I, I do, if we're going to do one or the other, I'd, I'd pick chlorella for sure. Hmm, cool. Cool. Um, okay. The other, I mean, I think we're, we're checking some of the main boxes here, but, um, omegas is another one that people bring up. Like I gotta have my, my fish or my salmon or, or whatever to get my omegas. Um, but, uh, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but aren't the fish just get like, um, getting a lot of their omegas from the algae and stuff like that? Yeah, so um, so fish don't make the omega-3s. They get it from either eating smaller fish or sea creatures or from uh, microalgae, and yeah. that's where it's produced. So we do have supplements now that are sourced from algae, and you can always get it that way. Um, but we have to remember, so fish, is associated, fish consumption is typically associated with lower risk of cardiovascular disease. But we have to remember, what does fish replace? Fish typically replaces meat in the diet. So is the benefit coming from replacing meat or is it coming from adding the omega-3s? Well, to answer that, we would look at supplement trials. And supplementing these omega-3s doesn't seem to reduce risk unless you're already pretty sick, unless you already have cardiovascular disease, you have high triglycerides, you um, possibly uh, overrate, or I believe there's one study on people with type 2 diabetes. Um, so if if you're otherwise healthy, um, there doesn't seem to be evidence suggesting that there's benefit. Hmm. Um, now, for brain health in people with mild cognitive impairment, same deal. There might be benefit there. If you don't have cognitive impairment, doesn't seem to benefit. Um, in uh, um, you know, in pregnancy, I think might be a good idea. Uh, there's some evidence of some uh, positive health outcomes there with supplementation. Um, but ultimately, to really put this to rest, we'd have to look at. Um, you know, well, I already talked about supplement trials, but the other one is genetic levels. So we actually have studies on people with genetically different levels of these omega-3 fats that you would get from fish. And those with higher levels do not have lower risk of Alzheimer's, do not have lower risk of cardiovascular disease. If anything, actually have higher risk of type 2 diabetes. Um, so it's not necessarily um, uh, going to be a benefit. And I just recommend that people, otherwise healthy people, like I said, if, if you have cardiovascular disease, then sure, supplement. Uh, but for otherwise healthy people, I, I usually recommend um, uh, consuming uh, a large amount of uh, like ground flax, chia, walnuts, soy uh, in the diet to get those omega-3s that way that will convert, will, will convert the plant-based omega-3s into the um, omega-3s typically found in fish. So uh, it's a controversial topic for sure, but there isn't really any um, health outcome data suggesting that there's added benefit there. Um, and the funny thing is, usually it's suggested to supplement because they can lower cardiovascular risk or lower dementia risk while plant eaters are already doing pretty good in those departments. So um, so it's, you know, I, I'm not convinced that there is an added uh, benefit there. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, you mentioned those benefits there. What, what would you say are some like top line benefits of adapt, adapting a plant-based lifestyle in terms of, you know, risk uh, disease prevention? Yeah, oh, definitely cardiovascular disease, uh, unless you're pounded in the coconut oil or something. But yeah, definitely the cardiovascular benefits, um, lower risk of type 2 diabetes, lower risk of uh, high blood pressure, um, obviously weight as well as another one. Uh, there is a meta-analysis in 2017 uh, looking at all the, the cohorts up until that point um, on like vegan or vegetarian diets and different health outcomes. Vegans had a 15% lower risk of total cancer 
Um, uh, so that's another one. So a lot of it comes down to disease prevention um, for a variety of chronic illnesses. Hmm. And that, that should be enough reason for yeah. most people to, <laughs> yeah. to get on board. It's like the old adage, right? Our moms, our moms and dads always say, like, eat your vegetables, yeah. right? There's like that intuitive sense, although it would often be served in my growing up, be served alongside, you know, whatever, some sort of meat dish always, right? Yeah. And then butter on the vegetables or something like that. Yeah, yeah. But like the intention is like we intuitively know, like we got to eat these things. Yeah. Eat more veggies until you go vegan then your parents are like... Yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's a threshold. Worry. There's a threshold once you get to the all plants. Yeah. Which is, you've gone too far. Yeah, yeah. Now you're eating too many. Yeah. <laughs> so another one is, uh, so we, we both have kids and stuff and talking about parents and all this and there's like a generational kind of understanding of what, what healthy eating is. And I, I feel like you know, we all grow up to a point where we start educating and not necessarily parenting our parents, but we're we're kind of more in touch with like, no, this is actually better. Like just because it says non-fat or, you know, light doesn't actually mean that it's healthier for you and revisiting some of these familial trends. But one of the things that with my daughters, we took her off dairy because she was having some like skin problems and all this. And my uh, my mom was concerned about well, how's she going to get enough calcium? Like she needs, she's a, she's a growing little girl. Like she needs to have calcium for her bones to grow. And she can't, like she can't have yogurt or milk or like, how is she going to get calcium? So what would you say to someone who's maybe wondering for themselves or for their kid or like a, maybe like a woman, like osteoporosis is a thing. Mm -hmm. How do you get, get enough calcium if you're not drinking milk or eating well, cheese? I mean, if or, you're, what do we normally replace the milk with? We replace it with plant milks normally and they're all fortified. So you're going to have as much or more calcium than you're going to get from the dairy sources. Same with the plant-based yogurts right. um, for the most part. So that's, that's an even switch. Like it's a very lateral shift there. It's not like you're replacing a higher source with a lower source. Totally. Um, but on top of that, I mean, your dark greens can be good sources of calcium. Again, legumes, certain nuts. Um, these can all be really good sources. Calcium set tofu is a phenomenal source if you get that. Um, so yeah, like it, there's not, we do want to make sure we're getting enough calcium, but in today's day and age with fortified um, plant milks, if you're including those regularly, like daily, it's going to be very easy to hit a, a, a good uh, amount of calcium. A good level. Yeah. It's, I think it's like some of that cultural understanding too of like, there, how can there be protein or calcium in, in plants? Yeah, yeah. Like it's almost like that we don't understand that those things are in there because those are just like the healthy things that you add to the important part of the meal, mm -hmm. which is like the glass of milk and the eggs or the, the steak or whatever you have, right? Yeah. So I think it's just like it's always worthy of repeating like, no, no, these things are found in plants. Right? Like here's where you can yeah. eat them and get them. The reprogramming. Yeah, totally, right? It's So I mean, you touched on, on kids there. Um, you know, I've been, I've got two boys and we're raising them both vegan. Um, do you, can you kind of give any guidance for, I guess this is a two-part question for, you know, women that are, are pregnant and expecting and, um, you know, for raising, raising children with a vegan diet? Um, well, as far as pregnancy, it, I mean, there, there's really good guidelines around like supplementation with folic acid and and um, and that may be a case where the omega-3 supplements are a good idea as well, and, and I typically do suggest it during that period. Of course, as with all vegans, vitamin B12 here in Canada, probably vitamin D is a good idea. Um, just making sure you're hitting those nutrient targets. Um, and throughout the latter parts of pregnancy, you'll need to increase your caloric intake for sure, so be eating more. Um, but if you're maintaining a good variety of, of food intake, you're eating enough. I mean, there just aren't really concerns there that I have. 
Um, as far as raising kids, it comes down to the same thing. I think one of the biggest things with um, kids is making sure that they're eating enough uh, because their stomachs don't quite stretch as much as ours would. And, um, and so you want to focus on calorie-dense foods, your whole grains, your nuts and seeds, those sorts of things, tofu. Um, to make sure that they're getting enough to fuel their growth. Maybe in that case, adding a, you know, making sure to include a little bit of uh, flax oil in their smoothies or uh, olive oil in their meals, that kind of thing. I can just bump up the caloric and take a little bit just to support growth. But I mean, really, I don't have concerns in those cases. It's so funny because, like, um, you, know, you probably encounter this all the time. But when you, you know, share that you're raising your kids vegan or that you yourself are vegan, you know, it always like, you know, opens up yourself as a target for all these questions and. You know, how, how are you raising your kids vegan? And I think about, you know, I grew up in a generation that was like pizza pops, microwave food, yeah. gushers, and like, you know. I had the Lunchables, the processed meat Lunchables. Totally, yeah, right? Meat and cheese. Yeah. And, and no, nobody was questioning like all this preserved food that we grew up on. And most of us for more or less were, you know, we've corrected our diet now, yeah. but we're, we're okay. Yeah. We yeah, got the calories. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But often not without like consequence, right? Because I hear your story too. Um, like it's the same, same. Like in high school, like I was a bigger kid, allergies, asthma, all this stuff, and you know, I look at my diet growing up, and it like it wasn't great. Like I didn't really, you know, my parents did did the best they could with the knowledge they had, and always, you know, created like healthy options and stuff. But then it was like all of the extras, like the snacks, and then the the key components of the meal and stuff that we ate, like. Looking back, like, I, I did not eat healthy. And then I moved out, and people were like, dude, like, oh, you lost all this weight. Like, what happened? And I was like, well, I moved out of the house with, like, the treat cupboard, man. Like, <laughs> and, you know, like, that stuff not only is, like, expensive, I don't, don't want to buy it, I don't want to have it in the house because then I just eat it. And it's like you you move away from those things, and then there's like, oh, I don't suck. Like, I don't have asthma anymore. I still have seasonal allergies and some food allergies, but, like, not you know, not in a way that's, like, impacting my day-to-day -day life. Yeah, right, and actually, that... with asthma too, uh, one thing because I, I had the same same deal. Um, uh, where we do have some data is on uh, risk of asthma and um, and like fruit and vegetable consumption in childhood. So actually, fruit increased fruit. And ve it, it might not even been the cutting out of the other stuff. It might have been increasing the fruit and veggies there that that uh, improved the case. And, and uh, it's definitely an area I hope we get more research as well. Yeah. What What about for inflammation? Plant-based diet and um, So yeah, I mean, plant-based diet is very consistently shown to improve uh, inflammatory markers. Uh, but the funny thing about inflammation is I think a lot of people get it backwards. They'll, we apply the idea of inflammation to being a cause of so many things, like heart disease and, and this and that. It's actually not the case. So we have, we have, again, those genetic studies looking at different levels of inflammatory markers and if they end up causing, um, you know, say heart disease. And they don't. In most cases, a, inflammation is a response to an illness. It's not actually a cause of the illness. So having heart disease, when you have high cholesterol and it gets pulled into your uh, the arterial wall and it, it triggers this inflammatory cascade, it's the cholesterol that led to the inflammation. It's not the inflammation right. leading to this damage to the arteries. And so, um, so by taking care of all those other things, you're going to, of course, help the inflammation as well. But inflammation itself, I don't think, needs to be the target as much as it often is. It's mm. these other factors like managing your LDL cholesterol, managing um, um, your you know, blood sugar control and that kind of thing that are probably more important. And what about on like a recovery side when we're thinking about like athletics? Um, yeah, in that case, maybe. I mean, that's another thing where we don't have as much research as I'd like on like you know, you know strictly plant-based diets and 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 athletics and that. Uh, we do have that recent one I mentioned about protein, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping we get more and more, and I'm sure we will. We do have some sh suggesting that. Uh, 
again, for athletic performance, no difference between meat eaters or vegans. But if anything, there's actually a benefit for certain endurance activities for vegans compared to the meat eaters. So if anything, we can lean towards there being a benefit, particularly in females. Mm. Um, and so that's interesting. But yeah, definitely we need more more data there. I'm sure we'll get more um, on like recovery and that. There is some research on certain things like tart cherry juice post-workout and um, you know certain plant foods. Turmeric and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. We might be able to pick out some specific ones, but as far as like overall dietary pattern, not yet. Okay, mm. interesting. Yeah, because anecdotally, like I always notice yeah. if I... I was saying to Zach, like uh, back around Christmas time, like you just, you know, there's more baking and stuff around it. So it's left the extended family's not vegan. So you have a couple cookies, this and that, or this thing has cheese in it. And I noticed that like after a couple days of eating outside of my normal kind of parameter with the little like nibbling on these things and whatever throughout the couple days, like I would wake up in the morning and my knees would ache and they would ache like they haven't for so long. And so like I run, uh, you know, a fair bit and it's not like I increased anything or stopped stretching, like oh, everything else was the same. But it was interesting. And I was like, why the heck would this happen? And then I was like, oh, Dr. Google, right? And like dairy and inflammation in, in the body. And like there's people saying no and people saying yes, depending on what you want to find. But just in my own experience, I was like, that's so interesting. And then as soon as I like didn't have those things, it was gone. Like I'd wake up in the morning and there's like no pain. No. So the funny thing there on the note of dairy, I would suggest is actually not inflammatory. Okay, yeah, interesting. I'd be, on, I'd be on that side. Um, the meta-analyses that we have looking at trials on dairy consumption and inflammation show that it isn't. Yeah. Um, if anything, kind of lends, or leans the other way. But again, it goes back to what we care about are actual health outcomes. We don't care about these markers here or there all that much. As, you know, does it... I mean, if we're talking about athletic performance, we don't have a ton there either. But if we're um, talking about like cardiovascular disease and that, well, fatty dairy products increase risk. We yeah. know that, and and so um, that I think is what uh, what we need to focus on is actual health outcomes versus like the the little mechanisms, the, the markers there. of yeah. Exactly. Will this increase, decrease? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's yeah, that's so interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, so the search is on then. The search yeah. is on. <laughs> so so for fats, um, just mentioning fat there, you know. There's debates that fat is good, fat is bad, saturated versus unsaturated. Can can you kind of break down some food examples of saturated versus unsaturated yep. and what might be good or bad? Um, so if we're to to put them into good or bad, saturated fat's the bad one. That's the one that we want to limit. Um, and what's yeah, an example of this? Yeah. So um, so the high saturated fat foods would be things like meat, dairy. Um, eggs have a little bit, although cholesterol is more a problem there. Um, and then uh, coconut oil or coconut products, even like coconut milk and that. Uh, palm oil as well. Uh, those are some of your big, um, heavy saturated fat uh, products, whereas the polyunsaturated fats, which are the best types of fats, are largely found in nuts and seeds. Okay. Um, and so those are going to be the best sources there, or even in, in uh, like uh, seed oils and stuff too. Mm. And And what would be... Um, I mean, it might be obvious, but what would be the benefit of good fats and the, you know, the, what could be harmful from bad fats? Yeah, so uh, saturated fat can raise your LDL cholesterol um, level, um, which is ultimately uh, one of the causes of cardiovascular disease. Uh, there's, we can get really into the nitty gritty of it, but basically... <laughs> Um, LDL cholesterol contains something called ApoB or apolipoprotein B, which is what pulls it into your artery wall. Mm. And there are certain lipoproteins that contain that ApoB. LDL just is the main one that does, which is why we typically focus on LDL. And so if you increase LDL, you're increasing something that causes heart disease. Uh, we know that. We have tons of data on that at this point. Um, so saturated fat raises it. 
polyunsaturated fats decrease it. So that's really the simple answer there. And so we want to minimize it. Now the risk for cardiovascular disease with um, saturated fat intake seems to happen when you increase from about 8% of your calories to 10% of your calories. So when you're increasing the amount of saturated fat in your diet from about 8% to 10%, um, that's where the, str uh, the most large increase in actual heart disease risk comes. Hmm. And so you want to ideally stay on the low end of that. And how do you do that? Well, you limit or exclude the, like I said, meat, dairy, um, coconut oil, palm oil. Um, and it should be pretty easy for people eating plant-based to do that. And the funny thing is sometimes you'll see studies um, uh, or people cite studies comparing like 12% of your calories from saturated fat versus like 15 or 16 and oh, no difference in risk. Well, that's because they've already peaked, right? right? There's, a, there's a plateau that happens at the higher uh, intake. So you need to see going across that 10% threshold. Um, that's where, where the uh, risk is seen. And that's why the U.S. dietary guidelines recommend keeping it under 10% of calories. Um, the uh, American Heart Association goes even lower than that. And I do suggest that lower is even better. Um, but uh, that's kind of the brief, I guess, overview of all of that. So I guess that's the, in some ways, that's the nail in the coffin for the for our keto friends too. Eh? It should be, but they'll, they'll, <laughs> again, mental gymnastics. Yeah. Well, I, like I before before um, <clears throat> adopting a plant based lifestyle, like I was always interested in you know reading up on these different different ways of eating for athletic performance for fitness. And I was keto for for a while, or attempted it. I mm -hmm. think to actually be fully keto is like pretty hardcore and intense so I lived into it but I was like way more paleo I was eating all of the meats and it was like the green light to eat all the fats and I think one of the unfortunate side effects of the, that lifestyle or that diet is that it worked it worked for my body I was the leanest I had been but internally I was so unwell and it was at that point where you know I kept having these chronic issues and then my wife was like I think you need to go see, like, my daughter, we take my daughter to a naturopath. She's like, you probably need to go see a naturopath because, like, there's something going on there. And I was like, yeah. And classic, food journal, keep a food journal for me, and da da, da and we're going to do, like, that kind of blood analysis where we find, like, what are the things in your system that shouldn't be there, whatever, protein analysis or something they did. And uh, came back, showed her my food journal, and she's like, yeah, so here's all the things you need to stop yeah. eating. And it was basically, like... What are you thinking, right? How are you thinking that this is healthy? And I was like, well, like, look. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, I don't care what you look like. Is what's happening. Like, you're constantly sick. And that was kind of like the, the, the realization is like my goal was something that was so fickle and not healthy, right? It was, it was a sign of unhealth, but that's like what I was driving towards. And then lo and behold, adopt a plant-based lifestyle. And it's like, oh, I remember, I remember the day I said to my wife, it's like, wow, it feels so good to feel good. <laughs> Right, it's crazy. Yeah, and that's uh, that's the other thing is the the whole like kind of keto crowd and that um, they use that they use the the their bodies really a lot of, a lot of them are into fitness stuff they post pictures and that's that's really the <laughs> selling point right yeah mind you I just kind of did that with creatine anyway in my latest post but yeah um, <laughs> it's a good one pick. it's um, a good but, one but anyways that's that's where it uh, you know they'll use that but the thing is I'll, I'll post some actual science below it so exactly right a little, little bit different um but yeah that's where it uh that's what they use to promote it and a lot of the times i'll see them like uh, some of the carnivore people they'll post their picture next to like dr gregor's and be like look at the meat eater versus a vegan i'm like the guy doesn't work out or anything he just talks <laughs> about science all day like what why you why not go simon hill let's see you stand next to him yeah uh, right there's like no chance <laughs> yes <laughs> Um, so yeah, so it's just, it's, uh, no, it's pretty sad sometimes. To see yeah. That, but. And it's so funny cause it's like, you think 
whenever there's a diet telling you like eat bacon and eat like four eggs and heavy cream and butter and it's like it's good for you like everybody knows like no it's not but if someone who has a six-pack is saying like i eat this way and like butter and my coffee and stuff you're like well me too and then but the the downstream effects are i think where we've yet to see how detrimental that is even though the science is there and will tell us like yeah all right, we've got a few more left on the, the plant-based side, um, like the, the 101, and then we can kind of go into some broader questions. But, um, okay, the last two that people often ask, which I think, you know, everybody probably needs to supplement on these things, are uh, B12 and D3. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so vitamin B12, all vegans should supplement. Um, you can get some from fortified foods, but you in order to get enough you'd have to have like a decent serving three times a day every day and it's just not realistic uh for most people i would just suggest take a supplement as one of the easiest cheapest supplements you know to take on the planet you could even do a once weekly dose if you dose high enough like it's just it couldn't be easier just take one um even actually a lot of mediators should probably consider it especially as we age as recommended for um uh, for older individuals, regardless of their diet, to supplement because as we age, our stomach acid production decreases, and and, uh, um, and so you absorb less, and so it's better to take a supplement that way. So, regardless, it's just a good thing to consider. Uh, as far as vitamin D, um, it depends where you live, of course. If you're living somewhere where you're getting year-round sunshine, don't worry about it. If you're living here in in Vancouver, and and we get a few months of good warm sunshine throughout the year then uh, at least for the rest of the year we should probably consider supplementing health canada recommends everybody does throughout the winter as well osteoporosis canada recommends year-round i kind of lean that way i think year-round just as a safety measure is probably a good idea um especially if you're not always outside or <laughs> outside you know regularly daily um and as far as d2 versus d3 so it depends on the dose up to even like a thousand international units it doesn't matter which one you use um, once you get to higher doses, like 2,000 plus, um, then D3 is better, okay. uh, better absorbed. So it just depends on that. Um, I would suggest that those lower doses are probably fine for most people. I uh, It can vary, though. Um, if you want to be really safe with your dosing and make sure you're getting enough without even coming close to like toxic doses, there's doses of like 2,000 international units a day is a pretty good dose. The high range is, or the upper limit is 4,000 a day, so you're not even close to that. Um, but again, obviously speak with your healthcare provider about it and, and figure out whatever is uh, best for you. Mm-hmm. I, I've seen people recommend all the way up to like 10,000. Yeah. It's it, like short term. If you're deficient, sure. That'll help boost uh, levels. The yeah. long term, I'd say that's a bad idea. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It seems like a lot. Yeah. 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 yeah long term is not a good idea. Yeah. Um, they're probably paleo or yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, science. Right? Like, who cares? I yeah. want to eat what I want to eat. Yeah. Dean, do you have any more plant-based 101s? I got some, like, general health trend questions, but uh, are we sitting on any other ones we're missing here? Man, I think we covered most of most of what we wanted to get through. So just just some, like, general health trend questions. Like, I know, like, intermittent fasting is very, you know, popular um, in the keto crowd and, and just in general, like, you know, I, I think... Once it's been on goop like five or six times, you know, it starts to spread. Um, what are your thoughts on um, intermittent fasting? Um, I think a lot of the claims are overblown or not really based on good science. Um, intermittent fasting obviously can help reduce overall caloric intake, which for weight loss would be a good thing, but it's not because intermittent fasting is special, it's because you end up eating less. 
Um, that would be one of the big ones. So all sorts of claims around like hormones and this and that and the other thing, but none of that's really based on good evidence at this point. Mm. Okay. How about like more long-term, long-term fast? Do you see like some benefit to that or? Um, again, there's like some evidence for, um, for starters, any long-term fast, please do it under medical supervision. But, um, there is some evidence for like, uh, for high blood pressure again, for weight loss. But these are pretty extreme measures. There's, a, there's no reason to be jumping to something like that. There are other things that you can do instead. Um, again, there are like medical interventions and things as well that can help that we don't need to necessarily fear all the time. So, um, so I don't, I'm not a, a big fan of doing extended fasts um, just for the heck of it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it just yeah. doesn't seem like, like a good idea there. Um, uh, how you want to spend your weekend? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not at all. And what about, um, you know, the other one I see on, on the old IG all the time is, um, you know, people doing, you know, cold showers, ice baths, ocean swims. Yeah. So the hilarious thing about that is if anything, ice baths might slow recovery. Interesting. Um, so there's actually some, like, it's not a lot of data at this point. There's actually some data showing that it might impair, like, muscle recovery, muscle growth and that. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, I don't know where this stuff comes from, to be yeah. honest. I don't have a clue. Well, I um, think Wim Hof started. Yeah, yeah, water. probably. It just came, I don't know. Um, I don't see any reason to. Okay. I mean, I do my cold showers. Yeah, no, but, like, doing something like cold showers might wake you up in the morning or something. Like, there might be that kind yeah. of, you know... I feel individual benefit. Yeah, sure, that's fine. But as far as like the people doing the ice baths and stuff for yeah. for whatever purported benefit, I just see no science for yeah. that. Yeah, show me the science. Yeah. So, so you're not going to fast on the weekend and then no, uh, no, jump, no, no, no. jump in a cold bath? To no, no. Although I did, I did the um, not this year. Um, oh no, I did this year as well. I did the uh, polar bear one. Nice. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, just this year I did it solo because obviously there wasn't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. But just took a took a jump in the ocean. Mm. I mean, I, like, like you said, I having two young kids, I usually find um, having a cold shower just kind of snaps me <laughs> into being alert. But that's probably like my body going into like yeah. fight or flight or something. <laughs> yeah. like that. Um, mm. Awesome. Do we do we have some other health ones or do we? What are you thinking here, Dina? Well, I, I'm always interested. Uh, um, one of the things that we see so much in, in the world now, and especially in North America, is like gluten sensitivities. And mm -hmm. gluten-free is becoming way more common. You know, you see it in the grocery store everywhere. This is gluten-free, that is gluten-free. Um, and then you hear anecdotally, again, like these conversations about people who travel to other places mm -hmm. and can eat bread or eat pasta and not experience these things. Is there is there a fundamental difference in gluten from places around the world? Like I know maybe what goes into growing it. There's some people talk about things like what's sprayed on crops and how that's like glyphosate and can inhibit gut lining stuff. Do you, is that something that you're, is in your wheelhouse? Yeah, or? yeah. so, um, so... Gluten sensitivity affects a very small uh, number of people. Actually, so celiac disease, which is far more serious, that, that is something where absolutely you should be avoiding gluten. Um, it impacts like 1%, maybe 2% of the population, depending on which population you're looking at. Um, so it's not a lot. And then as far as non-celiac gluten sensitivity, we actually don't really know. We don't have good measures for it, but the ranges I've seen are anywhere from like 0.5% to 6% of the population. So overall, we're talking about a pretty small portion of people. Um, now, there are a lot of individuals who think they have sensitivities to gluten, and they've actually done tests on those people. So you, you enroll individuals who claim to have gluten sensitivity into a study where they're given a, uh, I think it was a bar or a muffin or something, where it has either gluten, fructans, which are other components of breads, 
um, or placebo. And there's no difference between the gluten and placebo group. So the, the people who thought they were gluten sensitive weren't. Mm. Um, they were actually, it seemed to be more uh, often sensitive to the fructans, which were those uh, uh, um, fermentable sugars. And those, um, those fructans are actually decreased with certain preparation methods for bread, like sourdough, for example, has less. So oftentimes people feel better with sourdough and, the, and they right. might think it's gluten related, but it's not. Sourdough still has gluten. Um, so it might actually be due to those other compounds, and that might be why you notice differences in different places, depending on preparation method as well. Um, on top of that, gluten-free diets are associated with type 2 diabetes, and that's because a lot of, for a few reasons, is because if you're eating uh, less gluten, you might be shying away from whole grain products, and, and whole grains reduce risk. You might also be choosing um, refined gluten-free products, because most of the time they are refined uh, in place of, again, whole grain products. So if you don't actually have like celiac disease or or a pretty good idea that you've got some, something like a gluten sensitivity, I'd suggest it's not a good idea to avoid gluten. Or if you are avoiding gluten, then you should be replacing it with other whole grains that are gluten-free, like quinoa, brown rice, and so on. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. That's great. I feel like it, it took off like a, well, maybe a yeah. decade ago or so. All of a sudden, like all of these people popping up and gluten intolerant, gluten sensitivity, and then celiac came on. And like my brother-in-law is, is celiac, right? And he yeah. had like got the whole uncomfortable test and everything. So like... There, he just has to avoid it. Yeah, exactly. But um, that's so interesting that it's like such a small percentage when it, it feels is. like it's very yeah, I know, very it's everywhere. common. It's yeah. everywhere. Everyone's gluten free. Um, we get a lot of you know we're part of these communities, but we get a lot of cyclists and runners, mm -hmm. and and they kind of prescribe more to like the high carb, high sugar diet um, because they're you know burning so many calories. What, what do you think about? Um, sugar consumption, carbohydrates, um, any issues or, or um, concerns? Are you saying added sugar? I mean, a lot of cyclists, they don't care what kind of sugar they're okay. getting. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would suggest that for overall health, just, you know, having a ton of refined added sugar is not great, but yeah. we're talking about like fruits or even carbohydrates from like whole grain sources and stuff like that. They're excellent. They're fantastic sources for you. Um, so it just depends on the source. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever watched like Jerry and Ryder on? Oh, I I met him. I know him. I've, I've met him a few times. Yeah. Like yeah. he'll just put like yeah, white no, sugar. I'm not, I'm not a fan. I'm not <laughs> a fan. Yeah. No, it's not. That's not not healthy. But I've, I've definitely I have uh, I met him years years ago. Uh, he went running with him a couple times. Too. Nice, cool. Um, and then things got crazy. Yeah, but, he's, uh, a, he's a crazy guy. Yeah, <laughs> <but> <laughs> controversial. Yeah, 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 for sure. Prior to that, anyway, uh, when I met him, he was a, seemed like a nice guy. I mean, yeah. I mean, he's got a message. That's, yeah. uh, that's his own. He's, he's promoting the plant-based diet yeah. as well. Just, uh, you know, I actually have some cycling buddies that like prescribe to his methods. And, oh like, man, they um, they swear by it. Yeah, I don't know. You probably wouldn't prescribe any of them, but uh, yeah. Well, it's well, like, I mean, I, I would I would prescribe to the whole foods plant-based part of the message. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. As far as the high carbohydrate. Uh, for an athlete, sure, fantastic, but it's the source that I'm not a yeah. big fan of. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's always a trade-off, right, of like instant, like what's going to yield results for me yeah. today versus, you know, this more long-term picture, like yeah. what, what is the best way I can eat for longevity and health into the future? And on top of that, like having some added sugar is not going to be a big deal. And, and like uh, for, you know, gels during during a race or something, if you're doing a long, long distance race, that's n nothing wrong with that. Um, I'm just talking about when I see him make a, a, a huge <laughs> banana and like date smoothie and then dump 
like a cup of sugar on it. That's the part that gets me. <laughs> yeah. That's the part that I do not uh, see the point of. It's already sweet enough. The bananas and dates is good yeah, enough. Yeah, I think that's good enough. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't know Jaren Ryder, he's yeah. like the spokesman for um, ref- like processed sugars. So yeah, yeah. Check him so out on I think he, he, I think, no, there's a clip. There's a clip where I feel like we're ragging on him at this point. But there's a clip. <laughs> there's a clip where he's drinking like a can of Coke or something, like a pop soda, and he's like. He's like, soda's one of the best drinks for weight loss. That was his message in the video while he's holding it. There's, it's been clipped out. It's been used so many times that just it, you got to laugh at it. It's so funny. Yeah. What a guy. <laughs> what a guy. <laughs> Anything you can use to justify yeah, that yeah. two liters a day, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Now, now, did we miss out, like when you're doing your, your plant-based 101, uh, you know, lecture, university lecture, did we miss any key points here? I don't think so. I mean, I went through so much, I can't even remember how. (laughs) So if if you're kind of projecting for like a world that you want to see for the future, like um, like there's all these meat alternatives coming, there's uh, lab-grown meats, like do you think there's there's a place for this in our our diet or, or do you think, you know, Plant, plants, grains, legumes, like all that stuff is is what we need to focus more on. Um, so, like I said before, if you're at, you know the 85 plus percent from plants, um, as far as calories go from whole plants, the rest doesn't matter all that much. Okay. Um, we don't at this point have research suggesting that 100 percent would be better. Um, we also wouldn't say that it's worse. So, you know, again, considering environment, considering ethics, of course, um, going 100 percent is great. Um, but if we were to include some either animal products or processed foods, the, the plant-based meats or the um, you know clean meats, as they're calling them, those are going to be the way to go. They're, as far as everything else uh, is considered, I think those are definitely going to be some of the best options. And I actually think there's, there's a possibility that the clean meats or the, the lab-grown meats are actually going to be healthier or can be, whether they make it that way or not, who knows, but can be healthier than what people are actually consuming uh, nowadays because you can probably modify it to be very low in saturated fat and lower in cholesterol on that. Um, and avoid uh, all just, the antibiotics. Exactly, and... it just depends on if they want to go that route and actually um, take the time to do that. But I think there's potential there. Yeah, nice. I'm so, not going to have it. I don't want to have it. Yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah. so interesting, right? You could eat this thing that's like grown, it's this plant, you know how it yeah. happens. Yeah, yeah. Like it's, it's simple, it's, just, it's been around versus like, hey, we made this in a yeah, lab. Yeah, like I don't know, <laughs> like as far as that, that doesn't bother me. Ethically, I have no problem with it. Just the idea of eating meat to me just right. kind of, doesn't it feels weird like I, I just don't think I would enjoy it yeah um, but I have no issue with somebody having it at all um, in any way especially if you're replacing other meat with that mm-hmm. and then from an environmental standpoint what are some of like the key the key kind of tags headlines uh, points that you go to for like the argument for a plant-based lifestyle mm-hmm. is you know for the environment. Yeah, so um, I mean, there's a few studies that point to um, there's one out of Oxford, 37,000 uh, farms, and I think it was 119 countries um, looking at different farming methods. And they, uh, the actually lead author came out and said, probably the single best thing you can do personally for the environment is to go vegan. And that's not just because, um, yeah, you might be decreasing your, say, greenhouse gas, gas emissions, or at least the heating potential of your greenhouse gases to a certain degree. But there's the the land use, the water use, all of these other issues at play as well. So 
um, definitely the more that we can shift towards that, the better. And then we have the Eat Lancet report, which looks at not only um, environmental factors, but human health as well. And they ultimately concluded that I, I think the exact number was 88% or more plant-based um, was what we needed to do to, to achieve our climate targets by 2050, I think was the date they gave. Um, so. You know, these are the. It's very clear the United Nations said a vegan diet is the best for the environment as well um, in their latest climate report. It's just every single report that comes out really is pointing that way. And so the more that we can shift that direction, the better. Um, we don't need everybody to go 100%, but we need everybody to start shifting. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. That's the difference. And, um, you know, maybe obvious for, for us, but for, for listeners, um, can you touch on the ethics of mm -hmm. choosing to, to go vegan? Yeah, so there's there's a lot that we say or, or use to to justify what happens to animals. There's um, there's the the taste uh, component, but I think we can pretty well squash that at this point. There are alternatives. Um, there's some people that believe they need it for health. Hopefully, not anymore after this podcast. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> you know? um, but then there's I don't even know. There, there's there's this attachment to meat and animal products that we have, and we like to create these sort of fairy tales about what actually happens, that there's, you know, grass-fed. Well, guess what? Grass-fed animals, sure, they may, uh, not always guaranteed, but they may have um, better lives. But at the end of the day, they're still being, if we're talking about a cow, for example, they're being killed at, what, two, two and a half years versus one and a half years. They would normally live to 25. You're essentially killing a child at that point, um, <laughs> at the latest adolescence. And um, so we are cutting their lives short. In fact, we're giving them life only to take it away in a very short period of time simply for our taste buds when it is unnecessary. And if it is unnecessary to kill, I don't know that we can do so humanely. Um, and, we, and at this point, I hope it's very clear that it is indeed unnecessary. So um, that's really it. It's just there is no, I don't think, justification at this point for it. Um, I know there are... There are cultures, that, which is something that's always brought up, there are cultural practices that um, revolve around meat consumption, but I don't think culture has ever been justification for other really atrocious things we've done in the past, at least I hope not, and so why are we giving an exception for this? I'm not sure. Right. Mm. Like if uh, you know, slavery or rape or any other things were you know, culturally acceptable 5,000 years ago, they surely aren't yeah. today. Yeah. And... Um, you know, not to the human experience is, is one and the animal experience is is, is another, but I, I don't think making that justification for, for animals makes sense. Yeah, and and, and yes, I would never, and, and this is something I often get straw man into, I would never suggest that that humans and animals are the same. We aren't. We clearly aren't. And in fact, certain animals are different than other animals, right? They aren't all the same. I would suggest that there isn't a difference great enough that justifies the behavior um, towards animals and um, you know you can apply that to any situation uh, is it is it intelligence well I mean if if we equated the intelligence in, in a pig versus a human would it make it okay no probably not I should hope not and so like there isn't any single trait I don't think anyone can name where uh, when when applied to a human would make it acceptable to do the same to a right. human. Mm. Like taking away baby calves from the Yeah, exactly. And... It's just arbitrary. These are just arbitrary distinctions that are, mm. are made just like, as you mentioned, race was an arbitrary distinction. Mm. Um, and you can yeah, keep applying that as many times as you want to different traits. Mm. Okay, so we've got the full spectrum. Yeah. We've got the ethics. We've got the mm -hmm. environmental. 
and we've got the personal health and that's yeah. kind of the the trifecta that I see for promoting a plant-based uh, plant-based life. Are we missing anything there? Um, no, I, I don't think so. We hit everything. I wasn't even really expecting to chat about the last couple, but <laughs> I got it done anyway. There we yeah. go. Oh, one that I, you know we chatted about before, which is kind of a funny one. Um, you did that creatine post this morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, you know, in high school, it was kind of like the the protein bros that were all about the protein and yeah, yeah. Uh, creatine, and we kind of teased like. Oh, it's just water muscle. Mm -hmm. But I read your post and I was like, damn, I need to take some creatine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So can you talk, can you just quickly yeah. touch yeah, on creatine's, that? Yeah, creatine's uh, one of the most well-studied supplements in the world. Um, I have just so much data at this point, even really long-term data, and very consistently shows that it can improve um, strength, uh, muscle mass, uh, may help recovery, um, can actually have cognitive benefits as well as far as like uh, certain types of memory and that. Um, has uh, benefits for uh, possibly bone mineral density and in, in uh, older women in particular can have benefits for lowering cholesterol um, it's just benefit after benefit after benefit with little to no risk there's it seems to be incredibly safe it doesn't impact um, uh, kidney function in people who are healthy and um, and you know most of the concerns or pretty much all the concerns that are raised uh, don't seem to actually pan out when we look at the data hmm there we go. Yeah. Oh, get me some creatine. I know, right? There was the thing. It was like avoid creatine. It's just water weight. Yeah. It's just water muscles. I was yeah. like, oh, okay. Not quite. Yeah. I'll just take my whey protein instead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? like, that's better for me. Oh, man. We've come so far. I don't know. Yeah. Should we go to the rapid fire? Do you have any uh, No, let's any, do it. Let's, other zingers? let's do it. Rapid fire. All right. Um, so, okay, new, new to the, the plant-based lifestyle, can you just kind of throw out some... Some books, some documentaries, maybe a couple of websites, some resources people can tune into. Um, books, I'll first uh, talk about Simon Hill's book that's coming out. It's called The Proof is in the Plants. It's out May 4th. I was one of the scientific reviewers on it, so I um, you know, kind of fact-checked everything, gave some edits, uh, had my input. I'll be, I'll be listed in there somewhere. <laughs> um, and so definitely going to recommend that because I think it's quite accurate. It's unbiased. It um, it's, might be the best one out there once it, once it comes out. Um, I think How Not to Diet, which is the latest one by Dr. Gregor, is a really good one around weight loss in particular. Nourish by Brenda Davis and Reshma Shah is fantastic for um, families in particular, like raising kids, which is usually a hot topic. Um, so that's a, a good one for that case. Uh, you mentioned websites and that too. Um, actually, a YouTube channel I've been really getting into lately is called Nutrition Made Simple. Um, really good. Uh, it's uh, run by a medical doctor and a PhD um, who just boils down these uh, different studies that come out or just more complex nutrition topics into like really digestible anywhere from 5, 10, 15 minute videos. Um, so I definitely recommend that one. Um, uh, I volunteer for Nutrition Facts as well, which I'm sure everybody is aware of at this point. Um, what else can we recommend as far as websites? I'm not too sure what else. I'm kind of blanking on the other ones. Maybe a couple of podcasts like oh, podcasts? Plant Proof. Yeah, Plant Proof. Uh, uh, again, going back to Simon Hill, Plant Proof is a good one. Um, I'm not... Uh, actually, I just recorded one this morning with uh, Plant You. Um, uh, she's at Plant You on, uh, on Instagram. Super big page there. And, and she's going to be having... I, I know she's got some really good guests on there coming up. But I don't think they've launched yet. But uh, that'll be a good one when it comes out. Um, I think that's probably some yeah. of the main ones I listen to. Any uh, documentaries on um, Netflix? Oh yeah, I like the Game Changers uh, for both health and athletics. I think it's a really good one. Um, 
one that I just watched yesterday just came out with Seaspiracy. Oh yeah, how uh, was it? I watched it. I really liked it. I've actually asked because I'm you know you're never show, sure with documentaries, and I can fact check the health stuff myself. But I asked an environmental scientist uh, about the um, environment claims, and he said they're actually quite spot on. So that's really good to know too, is that it's it's accurate and, and quite appalling once yeah. you once you actually watch some of it. And um, I think they you know at the end they they pepper in some of the ethics, they pepper in some of the uh, uh, health stuff as well. Um, but uh, overall, I think the the environmental portion of it and, and uh, the ethics, not just animal related, but even human related, as far as in certain parts of the world, the fishing industry, I think is really eye opening to watch. And I think that's the biggest kind of takeaway from it. But I, I did really like it. Um, and then for environmental stuff, I'd go back to Cowspiracy, which was about the same people. So yeah, so good. Cool. Um, okay, quote unquote, any superfoods that you prescribe to? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm not for superfoods. I don't know. Like, it, all foods can be superfoods. Um, right. You know, there's tofu can be a superfood, man. The health, yeah. the health benefits of that. Um, kale, or dark greens in general, um, berries. Uh, like, these are some of the foods with really positive health outcomes. So, uh, I, I don't prescribe to a lot of the, uh, um, the, you know, powders and the, magical berries and all that kind of stuff. So there's no like maca, ginseng, ashwagandha, yeah, no. shilajit going into your smoothies? No, no. I do throw chlorella in though, which we talked about earlier. Yeah, okay. So I do throw some chlorella in. Sure, sure. If we had to pick one, let's go with chlorella. that. Um, yes. Any supplements we'd find in the doctor's cupboard that... Um, uh, just B12, uh, vitamin D, iodine. Oh yeah, can you talk about iodine? Yeah, yeah I can talk about that in a second. Yeah. And then uh, the creatine, which you guys know about. Um, so yeah, iodine is one that... Um, it's a nutrient of concern for basically all diets. Yeah. Uh, not just not just vegan diets. It's basically all diets. Uh, and where you get iodine is either from um, iodized salt if you use it, but everyone's switching to sea salt these days, so they aren't getting it. Um, and then there's uh, sea vegetables like nori, dalswakame, and so on. Um, and then there's uh, seafood. So if you're not eating, um, you know, fish because because uh, we're vegan, you're not eating sea vegetables on a daily basis and you're not um, uh, using iodized salt, then you might want to consider an iodine supplement. Uh, but otherwise, it's pretty easy to get through those sources. And I have I have a sea vegetable mix that I use in like salads and that. So mm. if I have that on in a given day, I won't take the supplement. If I don't have it, I'll take a drop of the supplement. So it's just kind of- And is the supplement just one of those like droppers? It's a little dropper. It's a tiny little drop and that's it. And how, how often would you take that? I take it on any day that I don't eat the sea veggies. Okay, okay. so yeah. the daily kind of thing. Yeah. Crazy. Is that like a sea moss? Um, no, so it's a, it's a mix. It's a mix of dulse, nori, wakame, and sea lettuce. Okay. It's just like powdered, and I just toss it on uh, on salads. And then you can just get like a tincture of uh, yeah. iodine. Yeah, yeah. Um, that you can drop in your water, on your tongue, or whatever. I just do. There. Knock it back. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> the wellness, the wellness shot. Yeah. That's so good. Two, two bartender. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's a, what's a, a resource website or whatever might be a cookbook that you would recommend for people to get so they can start eating like these really whole food plant-based? Oh, for, so if we're talking really whole foods plant-based, um, I would actually, I think plant use a good one again. I already mentioned her. Yeah, she's a good one for a lot of that, mostly whole food sort of recipes. Um, but if you want like super, super clean, no processed ingredients whatsoever, then, uh, the how not to die or how not to diet ones. Um, can be good for that purpose too. Okay, cool. Um, shout out to a couple places you like to eat in Vancouver. Um, I just had a smoothie at Juice Truck. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. That. Uh, <laughs> but I like going to meet. Um, I go there 
um, usually for the bowls though I don't get the burgers and yeah. all that so I'll get like some of the, the healthier bowls um, but I do like that place um, where else I feel like I haven't eaten out a lot in the past year right, just right, so. um, yeah it's a tough one chickpea I like their brunch yeah um, I like virtuous pie but again I haven't gone in a while uh, at this point it's all the the big ones everybody yeah. talks about yeah. probably. The nom, here, dude. No, the oh, nom. I used to go there a lot. So I go to a lot of concerts and like rock concerts and things. I'm kind of like a '80s guy born in the wrong decade. Um, so whenever the, they, as you're wearing the the Pink Floyd inspired yeah, plant yeah, exactly, fueled yeah. shirt, I love it. Yeah. Um, so I used to because it's open 24 7 yeah. if i go to a concert and then i'm hungry afterwards it's the place to go yes. and so i'd always go there um miso gravy. On the oh the miso gravy their bowls are so good too. yeah exactly i'd always get the the bowls sometimes yeah. the one with the miso gravy so i like the nom a lot uh but i haven't been in quite a while um and yeah i think that's probably most of them sweet uh, i know you're active as well with um kind of the animal sanctuaries in Vancouver. Yep. Um, you want to give a shout out to a couple um, animal sanctuaries that um, people can check out? Well, the one that I, I, I mean, there's Oink Bank, but that's that's no longer here. Uh, but the one that I um, go to is the Happy Herd. So I go to the Happy Herd every every uh, Sunday usually and um, volunteer there. We got all sorts of animals, uh, a donkey, a bunch of, uh, three cows, a bunch of chickens, a bunch of pigs, a um, bunch of goats, some sheep. Um, a little bit of everything. I got a cat, a couple dogs, hmm. one dog now. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I got to take uh, Finn out there. I think that'd be fun for him. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, health aside, I know you're '80s rock and roll guy. Um, favorite favorite band? ACDC, hands down. Oh wow! Yeah, nice, nice. Yeah. No, I've uh, I've actually in two of their music videos too. No you're, way! You're into the two of them. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Which and, ones? We, we know. I'm in uh, Rock the Blues Away and Rocker Bus, but you can't see me in Rocker Bus that much unless you look really <laughs> close. Um, and then, uh, so I, I've seen them 24 times. I think uh, I, I we know um, we know Brian Johnson. My dad and I, or my family, knows Brian Johnson, the singer, really well. And I, we know Angus and the rest of the band too. But yeah. um, like they were in town. They recorded their last album here a little over a year ago, and so we actually hung out with Brian when they were in town. But it was a secret; nobody knew. That they were here, so um, unbelievable. Yeah, so now the album just came out uh, a few months back, and I love it. So um, hopefully they were going to tour this year, but COVID happened. So hopefully yeah. they tour soon. What's your go-to ACDC track? Um, I have two. So Back in Black and If You Want Blood. So not as many people will know If You Want Blood, but that's from their Highway to Hell album. But everyone knows Back in Black. Yeah, yeah. it's classic. That's awesome. Do you listen to ACDC when you're doing your runs and workouts and stuff? I mean, I listen to a mix when the when the new album Power Up came out. I yeah. listened to it every day in full for like three months probably <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> like i listen i listen to it probably twice through on my workouts and then i'd listen to it driving to and from work yeah i'm slightly upset people are gonna think i'm crazy listening to this <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome yeah. man all right uh okay last one what's on post-covid what's on your bucket list what's uh i'm traveling again i mean it's not even bucket list i just love traveling yeah <laughs> where do you want to go um so my my partner is actually in scotland uh for vet school so i'd like to go out there i was i would go visit her this month but obviously can't um so she'll be back in the summer but i'd like to go out there um, and then we'll have to see where ACDC's touring. Follow <laughs> <laughs> them around. <laughs> I've uh, seen them all over, actually. I've seen them a few times in Europe, in Australia, New Zealand. So it's always fun. It's like a chance to travel and see new places, but at the same time, catch a concert. That's so good. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> I love it. Amazing. Well, Dr. Matthew Niagara, thank you so much for coming and hanging out with us and uh, sharing, sharing your, your wealth of knowledge and information. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, we're all a little bit better for uh, 
for for the information that you share with the world. So grateful for the space that you mm-hmm. hold and uh, the information that you share. And uh, yeah, yeah, look forward to listening to this a few times so that I can. Yeah. Uh, it's it's like packed full. Become yeah, an echo chamber of the things that you share. Absolutely, and be sure to check out Dr. Matthew on his website, drmatthewnagra.com. Follow him on Instagram at Dr. Matthew Negra. It's very good. Some good posts and tons of good information. Even this morning, just seeing the creatine post, we're like, we got to ask about that. <laughs> so uh, you you have so much to share and so much good to bring to the world in terms of advocating for um, yeah, whole foods, plant-based living. And uh, we're, so, we're so thankful for you coming out today and, and sharing uh, your time with us and your knowledge with us and, and our listeners. So I look forward to uh, the ACDC cover album. Yeah. yeah, so good. So good. I can't wait. I'm going to like watch those videos and look for you there. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm front and center on that other one, Rock the Beach. I'm like right front and center. I got the devil horns on and everything. Yes. Yeah. So good, man. You can, you can easily rock on a plant-based diet. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Awesome. Well, we'll wrap it up there. Thanks so much. Really, really appreciate you being here with us. Yeah, no problem. Happy to be here. All right, all right. What'd you think, Dina? Yeah, there was like legit so much good information. I feel like um, like there's a quote that I always like that you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Mm. I, I want Dr. Matthew Nager to be one of those people so <laughs> totally. I can just like absorb all of that knowledge and become a fraction of what he is. Oh yeah, it's so good and just like the the ability to like know so many like in depth studies and resources and just but to like be so cut and dry and like honest about well actually no like it shows the dairy like doesn't do inflammation yeah it's like oh okay but yeah. like he, it's just like such good information that it kind of cuts through a lot of the noise yeah. so such a useful um conversation like i say like this one really is a resource to go back to yeah. and to share with people and say here check this out like here's some some real evidence-based stuff around plant-based living so and if you loved it i know he's been a guest i think maybe once or twice on plant proof simon hill's podcast yeah which is a great podcast and he's also been on desiree nielsen's all sorts podcast so that's right if you enjoyed it um for some further learnings go um you know check out those podcasts and until then yeah well and and just as a as another little reminder like dr Nagar, if you like what you heard on the pod definitely check him out on desiree nielsen's pod the all sorts one as zach mentioned and definitely check him out at planted expo here in vancouver november 20th and 21st at the vancouver convention center grab your tickets at plantedlife.com slash vancouver and you can hear dr matthew Nagra. you can hear dotsy bosch you can hear John Lewis, the badass vegan. And you can hear Rich Roll wow. as the keynote speakers. What a lineup. Yeah. So be sure to check that out. And again, thanks for tuning in. As always, wherever you go, wherever you do it, make sure you're out there doing a little more good, friends. And lastly, if you enjoyed the pod, be sure to like, subscribe, and review wherever you listen to your podcast. Thanks, guys. Peace. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week 
Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.